Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Trevor McNulty continues our series of messages on the book of Acts. Today, looking at Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 25. And now, here's Trevor. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, would you please uh, go to Acts 8, as that's the passage we'll be working on this morning. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it was quite a, uh, oh, can I get the mic down just a bit? I'm getting a echoey feedback. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a, uh, on first reading of this passage and multiple readings, I kept getting stuck at the first half of verse one and Saul approved his execution. Execution is a really big deal. You don't get the death penalty for cheating on your taxes, telling your neighbor off, or, uh, or stealing your neighbor's Wi-Fi. Death penalty is for serious crimes, for serious things. So why is Saul standing there in approval of Stephen's execution? It's an important question. See, in Acts 7, which Phil went over last week, we saw that the garments of those who stoned Stephen were placed at the feet of Saul. And Saul obviously held some sort of an authority in that crowd at that time. And he probably could have stopped the stoning, but he did not. It says he approved it. So again, I ask why? Do you like to be wrong? I don't think any of us do. Uh, do you like to be told you missed the mark? I think that's probably even worse than being told you're wrong. They, apparently, Saul didn't either. And if we look at back into chapter 7, verse 51, the scene takes a huge shift when Stephen catches them with a fury of jabs and ends it with a beautiful right hook when he says that, I'm just going to pull that up. When he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your heart and your ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. Um, yeah, I think that one hurt. <laughs> I think they were like, yeah, that's, uh, that one hurt the soul deep. But is it a reason for execution? Is it a reason to to take it to the levels it did. Um, the Jews, they knew their history very well. They knew that these historical facts that Stephen previously brought up were ironclad. They knew as he walked through Abraham, Joseph, their time in Egypt, Moses, David, Solomon, all the way to Jesus, and then to them in that crowd that day, they knew that all the historical things, they had no argument for it. 
They could not rebuttal it. It was in their own scriptures, in their own scrolls. They knew that they had a history of missing it. They knew that they had a history of not following God. Making the brass, the iron, the, the idols, the, the wandering, the, the over and over and over again, missing that mark. But yet, they are enraged by this. Now, if we look at chapter 6, verse 11, 10 and 11, if, if I think that Stephen didn't mention Jesus, he would have walked away from that uh, crowd, basically a local hero, an uneducated man who just schooled the Pharisees. I don't think a single stone would have been thrown. But he mentioned Jesus. He connected it to Jesus. But if you look at verse 10, uh, 10 of Acts 6, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So they stirred up the people. Pride and Jesus. The two things that really get people riled up. So did Stephen speak blasphemy? I don't think so. Not at all. He certainly insulted the Jewish leaders, the crowd. Um, insulting or saying anything bad against the Holy Spirit or God? I don't think so. But you see, when you twist Scripture, you can make it seem that way. Just like in Matthew 24, when Jesus was charged and asked by the, the council at that time, and he was, uh, oh, that was in 26, sorry, but in 24 was the initial um, uh, section where Jesus is leaving the temple and he says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when the disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these? Uh, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now we know that was fulfilled prophecy. But, you know, the when they twist it, did Jesus say he was going to tear that down? No, he just stated that there will no, be no stone left. But when you want to prove a case against someone, you can twist that. You can use that. And they did that against Jesus. They did the same thing here with Stephen. A charge of blasphemy. But it was unfounded. You know, when we get our feelings hurt, we should get over it. You know, he called them stiff-necked people, uncircumcised of the heart. Get over it. But Jesus offends. The truth offends. So, may I be bold enough to say, let's keep offending people. Don't stop speaking the truth. Don't be afraid of them twisting the words, because they will. 
But if we speak in truth and we are with the Holy Spirit and with God in all things, God will use it. So they came up with false testimony against Stephen, just as they did against Jesus. So, if approving the stoning of Stephen was not enough, Saul was just getting started. The, if we look in chapter 8, 1 through 3, Saul, we'll read it here. And then arose on that day a great persecution against the church of Jerusalem, And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So, we kind of see this in different ways in the persecuted church. When we read, I know last week, the last time I did the announcements, it was basically said that way in Ukraine that the Russians were doing that and going house to house and making lists and making names. And Saul's going through and going through and imprisoning people for, I would have to assume, having any connection with Jesus' ministry or showing an indication that they believed in the messages that Stephen said or others has rounded them all up, entering homes, imprisoning them, and dragging them off. Why such a response? In chapter 4 and 5, during the trial of Peter and John, the council warned them twice not to speak in Jesus' name anymore. So in Acts 5, 33 to 40, we have advice, and I believe it was Steve who covered this passage earlier, but we'll quickly go over it again. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all, all the people stood up and gave orders and put them the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. So they took his advice. It's funny, because... Gamaliel was Saul's rabbi, his teacher. I have to believe that Saul was fully aware 
of either he was standing there in that council at that time or made aware of the decision later. He knew what was said. But yet, he goes and ravages the church and persecutes and approves killing Stephen. And again, I have to say, well, why? The, I think the answer lies in verse 14 of chapter 6. It says, For we have heard him say that Jesus, this Jesus in Nazareth will destroy this place. And that's the charge. And I think this is actually why they got so mad. And will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. They had power. They had a well set up system. They were the decision makers. They were, as we heard from Phil during the Stoning of Stephen, they were the judges, the jury, the everybody. They had all sorts of stuff. And they're afraid of losing and changing because they have to believe in Jesus. Now, what does Second Corinthians 5.17 say? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. We must change. We can't be the same. We can't hold on to our customs, our culture, our, our things that make us comfortable and power or whatever it happens to be. If you believe in Christ, there must be a change. You cannot be the same you were the day before you got saved. There must be a difference. They were scared of that difference. Relinquishing control to Christ and to this church of uneducated fishermen and people would have, that they always looked down upon. I'm sure that was not their desired end goal. So Saul ignores Gamaliel's instructions. He ignores all that. He ravages the church, pulls the women and children out, kills Stephen. And part of that, for Saul's personal um, position, you'd have to think that he studied from a young age. He was in this um, rabbi school he was trained up. They were, you know, the best of the best. And the and to be told by this man that you're wrong, you missed it, and oh, by the way, the Messiah that you guys were supposed to be looking for, well, you just killed him. And you messed it up. You're wrong. And, you know, no one wants to believe that they were misguided and missed the mark. And Saul was misguided and missed the mark. But was Saul a bad person at this point? We'll come back to that in a bit.
So Saul went and he was motivated to cut off these, what he would consider these loose ends, these different things. But um, in reality, what Saul did was do exactly what Acts 1, or yeah, Acts 1 verse 8 said. And let's go. He was fulfilling Jesus' words. As Dave read this morning, but you will receive power and when the Holy Spirit has come to you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. What Saul really accomplished was God's goals. The expansion of the church was was sped up. It was they were pushed out. They were scattered. They were exponentially probably grew because of Saul and his decision. And God is sovereign in all. Amen. Even when we are missing the mark that bad. And. Stephen died for this. Saul, as we read later in the, his letters and, and what he's going through and saying, I, I believe that there's an undertone of the willingness that he had to suffer was obviously for Christ. But also... I have to believe that in the back of his mind that he also was thinking of all the people he persecuted and that he was willing to take the same for Christ because he was brutal. (laughs) And when you're transformed by Jesus, as we read in Corinthians, a new creation, the old has passed, behold, the new has come. Thank goodness for the new Saul, Paul. And also, thank goodness for God's sovereignty in this situation for spreading the gospel. But Paul, or Saul, sorry, in himself was a very hard worker, very studious, very, um, as he said, the Pharisee of the Pharisees. In Philippians 3, 4, 6 says, I have thought, uh, sorry, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, blameless. He thought he had it all right. He thought he was the creme de la creme and he very might, well might have been one of the best students going, but that pride at that time that he had for being the best, for being, he, I think he saw this Jesus fellow in a genuine way that I think at the time he thought he was protecting God in the church, also protecting his customs and his comforts. But the way that God used him 
and changed him and targeted him, I don't think he was all bad. I think he was misguided and that God intervened and saw a misguided fellow who had tons of potential and redirected him onto the correct path. And even though he was ravaging the church and going, doing all this stuff, I think there is an element of genuineness within Saul. So if we pick it up in Acts 6, verse 8, Philip goes down to Samaria after he's been scattered. And uh, what he does there is quite remarkable that as we know that the, the Samaritans and the Jews did not care for each other too much. And part of the reason for that was that the Samaritans uh, intermarried after different wars and different things. And so the Jews looked at them as basically traitors and dogs and all sorts of detestable things. But as soon as the scattering happens, that's where Philip goes. Now we look at even when Jesus was on earth with his ministry, you know, he was questioned, why are you cutting through Samaria? Well, he's like, I have an appointment there. <laughs> he had to meet a woman in a well. But he, everyone, they bypassed it. They didn't want to even go there. They would go through Decapolis and Perea, which they had to cross the Jordan River to, to go around just to not go to Samaria. Philip went to Samaria. And as it says here, he went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. The crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him, they saw that the signs he, they saw the signs he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. There was much joy in this city. But as we continue on, we meet, a, we meet Simon. He was a magician in Samaria who uh, was actually, <laughs> when you do a little back research, he thought he was, had divine powers and he thought he was this um, special kind of guy and he was using under the flag of God. But when he saw the true power of Christ, the true power of God, he recognized it. He and all the people, they were in a culture with these magic tricks and all these different things are going on. And they instantly recognized, wait a second, this is different. The power of the Holy Spirit is different. The power of God is different. That's parlor tricks. This is the real deal. Now, Simon, it says that he was baptized and followed. And... Were, and they were all seeing the signs and great miracles performed and they were, he was amazed. Well, we're going to look at that in a little bit, but we're going to first look at what happens with um, Peter and John. So Peter and John are in Jerusalem and they hear of this great news. These are the same guys who in Acts 4 and 5 both warned many times, don't go there. <laughs> you just stay quiet. Don't preach Jesus. 
and you'll be fine. They beeline for Samaria. They say, we have to see what is going on. So let's read that in the text. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. They came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for they had not yet uh, fallen on any of them. But then, sorry, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. Now Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying of hands on of the laying of the hands of the apostles, and he offered them money, saying, "Give me this power also, that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit." But Peter said to him, "May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter." For your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. So what happened there? He's, he's believing, he's following, baptized. All of a sudden, offering money to attain the Holy Spirit so you can have what? Have power. He was the magician. He didn't want to take the side. He's like, well, that's the, that's the heavy stuff. That's the good stuff. I, I, want, I don't want to let go of that. These guys got the real deal. Maybe if I give them some money, I can get back in on this, this circus act. And, well, they obviously got re- rebuked very sternly. But the thing is, following and saying you believe isn't enough. That's what he did. He believed and he followed. But his heart was not changed. It was profession. It was physical action. But when the, the opportunity came up for the old to, to rise up, it came up. And it showed the truth of the heart. And that is why the stern rebuke. That is, and as we see, he says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me because um, he was scared (laughs) after that stern rebuke. But it doesn't mean he believed and followed. You can follow, you can get caught up in a movement, you can get caught up in different things but that true belief equals Second Corinthians 5.17 transformation no transformation in Simon unfortunately now in our world we still have situations like that in the church that we must be cautious about you know, some of them are older examples, but some of them, they're definitely still current where people grieve and abuse the Holy Spirit. We all know, uh, I don't have to name names, but we all know the uh, movement in the 90s of gold dust and gold fillings and different things. Well, if you want gold dust, go to your party and masquerade store. If you want gold fillings, go see your dentist. That's not God's job. He's not into that. It's 
with the, the power of the Holy Spirit is real. People miss it. They use it wrong. They use it for themselves. And they use it almost to create a movement and emotional response and stuff. But what does the Bible say about the true workings of the Holy Spirit? Now, I don't have the verses on me right now, but I know that it says that when it's for the edification of the body, that there's a reason for it. All this showy stuff is of the devil. It's not of God. It's of deception. And that is something that we must be on guard for. And that uh, I know in my personal life uh, that I was affected by that and uh, in my family. And things get quite freaky. And uh, when you go down that rabbit path and it's not good. And the thing is that the Holy Spirit is just like the speaking of tongues gift given in the Acts 2, I believe. It was for edification of the body. They were all speaking, but they were understood by all the languages and all the people around them. It wasn't for no one. It wasn't for nothing. It was for a purpose and it was for God. The power of God is for God and for God's glory, period. It's not for us, not for experiential highs and different things. Simon wanted to attain the gift of possessing the Holy Spirit power because of his background. And it's not the only time in, in history in the church that we've seen this. In, Acts, in Exodus 8 and 9 in Egypt, when Moses was up against Pharaoh, Pharaoh brought out the magicians. He said, oh, you, you know, Moses, you're showing the power of God. Well, guess what? My guys can do that too. But guess what? They can never do it as well as our God. Because they, all they can do is parlor tricks. God has proven himself over and over again. So, today, if you identify in any way as a Saul or a Simon, today is the day to plan your next move to get away from that and get towards Christ. If it's power, tradition, comfort that keep you stuck in your, in your way and that when we read the scriptures, we don't let God speak and change and then we read them and we're not getting the message and we're missing the mark. If that's any of us, today's the day to say, <coughs> sorry, that I'm not going to get caught in that. That these customs and these things are empty. And that when the scripture kicks us below the belt, praise the Lord Jesus for it and we make changes. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us to do that. Because in of ourselves, we need the power to do that.
to correct us, to change us, to transform us. And if we happen to be a Simon, which you know, is more or less unlikely, but can still be there, again, today is the day to change. There's a, there's a lot of history in the church, like I said, that led us down these different paths that we could still be potentially trapped into. And we need to let go and run towards God. And like I said with Saul, the regret that he had for persecuting, I believe he did take those beatings and I think it was in his mind as he was going through the trials that he went through as a Christian. And I see this world, I see what's going on, I see the legal changes, I see different things that are happening and we're, our trials are are not that far off. So, when we go through those trials, we need to uh, just be ready for them and to praise God for them and understand that we are, um, His sovereignty will be with us. And just like when Saul thought he was going to end the movement and ended up exponentially spreading the movement, it was all for God. And, and we don't know what we're going to get into tomorrow or this afternoon, but let's make sure that we're in prayer and seeking that it's all for God. Dave and Vicky. Let's end in prayer. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for looking at uh, the changes that come about in, in light of the Lord Jesus shining on us. And we pray that our, our lives might be changed and might reflect that uh, change and that you would shine through us and uh, that your spirit would work in our hearts. Thank you for bringing us all together and bless our time this week as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.